Hi, I'm Xavier McFarlane, and welcome to the Catholic City Podcast. Today's episode features Father Larry Richards with one of the best explanations on the Mass ever given. It highlights the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, the amazing untold story of the Mass, and a fantastic nuts-and-bolts walkthrough of the different parts of the Mass. Whether you attend Mass regularly or not, your sacramental life will definitely be enriched. But first, if you've ever considered becoming a Catholic or are a Catholic seeking to deepen your relationship with Christ, please visit us at catholiccity.com to order our Catholic scapulars, books, booklets, relic prayer medals, and best-selling novels by Bud McFarlane. Sign up for Bud's twice-a-month Catholic City email message, where he's been sharing profound insights, sage advice, and crazy stories for over 25 years. We are also the world's largest distributor of the Purple Scapular, given by Mary to the approved French mystic Marie-Julie Jehenny in the late 1800s. You can learn more at our website, catholiccity.com, which is the online home of the Mary Foundation. Since the dawn of the internet, we've been a world leader in delivering proven, free, or low-cost tools for evangelization right to your door. And now, let's begin. The most wonderful thing I have in my life that I do is say Mass. I love the Mass. You know, and if uh, <laughs> you ever come to my parish tonight, you'll see our Mass goes on for about an hour and a half. I just love saying Mass. I've loved saying Mass ever since I was a little kid, a little boy in first grade. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, when I was born, my mother gave me away, literally. Uh, because when I got born, I was born on March 26, 1960. Then on April 17th of that year, 1960, it was my mother's birthday, and it was Easter Sunday. And it was the day I was baptized. And my mother had me quite young. She was 18 years old. And uh, this 18-year-old woman, or little girl, after I was baptized, went over before the image of our Blessed Mother, and she lifted me up, and she gave me away at birth to Mary. And Mary, at that moment, took me and really took me as her own and prayed for me, I know, all the years until I got ordained. And I often said, if I ever got ordained, it would be because of Mary. And if I ever got ordained, I would dedicate my priesthood to the Blessed Mother. And I have, and I do every year. I reaffirm that. But even in first grade, without ever going to church much as a kid, my mother, though she did that, wasn't much of a churchgoer then. But she did that, and later on, they sent me to a Catholic grade school. And we had Mass every day in this Catholic grade school. I ever say when I get, up, get to build my parish, God willing, and we get a school, God willing, every day it's going to go, the kids are going to go back to daily mass. The way it was in the beginning is now and should always be. Daily mass is a great thing, huh? You know, and every day the priest would come, and our first period was mass, and he would preach to us every day, and he would teach us a lot. So when I was in second grade, or first grade, I guess, first grade, before I even got my first communion. We had a nun in class at St. Ambrose Church in Pittsburgh, PA, and her name was Sister Dolores. And she says, children, draw a picture of what you want to be when you grow up. And I'll never forget what I drew as a little boy in first grade at St. Sister Dolores' class was a priest with his hands holding up the Blessed Sacrament, the Eucharist. Because to me, that's what everything was about. The Eucharist. Jesus Christ. I mean, to think about the reality, what happens. That the God of the universe, that which the universe cannot contain. If you ever look at the stars at night, they're beyond everything. And God is beyond every star, every part of the universe. And yet this God humbles himself before us and takes on the form of bread and wine. And he gives us himself. The audacity of humility of our God to give us himself the bread of life. Huh? And so I drew this picture of Christ, Jesus, way back, of Jesus in the Eucharist being held up by a priest. And God, at that moment, I really think, gave me my vocation. And it was already given to me, I think, even before that, by our Blessed Mother when I was dedicated to her. So let's look about a little bit of the Mass, and let's go first of all, to begin and understand the Mass, to explain the Mass, we've got to go into the Old Testament. And the Mass, of course, is already prefigured in the Old Testament with the Passover, right? What happened at the Passover? Well, at the Passover, of course, God said, take the blood of a lamb and slaughter it and put it over the doorposts. So when the angel of death comes, he will pass over your house and set you free. Already in the Old Testament, almost 4,000 years ago, God was already preparing us for the Eucharist. And it would be through the blood of a lamb. 
Then you go even before that, you can go even deeper, and you go to Abraham, huh? And what happens to Abraham? <laughs> Abraham is told by God the Father, take your son, your only one, who you love, and give him to me. And Abraham goes and does that. He goes and takes his son Isaac, and he's walking up the uh, hill, and he says, well, Isaac looks at his father and says, Father, yes, son, here is the wood which is on his back, and here is the fire, but where is the lamb for sacrifice? And Abraham pronounces something which is prophecy. God himself will provide the lamb. Huh? They go up to the top of the mountain. He ties up his son Isaac, and he goes and he's ready to kill his son, offer his son up. What is happening at this moment is all these other Baals and Moab, all these gods of these other people said, to prove you love me, give up your children to me. And they sacrificed their children. When Abraham was told to do that by God, he was sitting there thinking, okay, you're just like all the other gods. But see what happens. Right when Abraham's ready to kill his son, God says, don't you dare. Abraham, he says, if you will, spiritually, don't give up your son to prove your love for me. Abraham, I will give up my son to prove that I love you. And that's what happens at every Mass. How is, how is Jesus portrayed when in John's Gospel, in the beginning, John the Baptist sees Jesus and what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God. God himself provided the Lamb. Huh? God himself provides the Lamb, his son Jesus Christ. Isn't that glorious that every time we go to Mass, God proves His love for us by giving up His Son for us. God Himself humbles Himself and gives Himself to us. There is nothing more important that you and I will ever do in our whole life than go to Mass. I often say when I'm going, if I was going to be at this church tonight and I was going to give a billion dollars out to everybody who came in this church, I'll bet you people will be flying from all over the world huh, to get here and to see Father Larry because everybody who comes to church tonight, he's going to give a billion dollars to. Well, we give out more than that at every Mass. What do we give? The God, the creator of the universe, the one who made the billion dollars, the one who made a million dollars, the one who gave us life, the one who keeps us in existence. He gives us his own body and blood at every Mass. Where does the Mass begin? Where did it come from? The Last Supper. Very good. So let's go back to the Last Supper. I want to go to Luke chapter 22, verse 19. We can go a little bit earlier there, and let's start 14 at the Eucharist. Now listen to this. Now again, I want you to get into the context of what was happening at the Last Supper. First of all, realize, huh, Jesus did not have little wafer hosts with little crosses on them. Nobody knew they were going to be at the first Mass. There was no altar. There was a table. They reclined a table. They were here because it was a Passover supper. They were remembering the first Passover. They were just doing their Passover, according to John anyway. And they're going around, and as he's doing it, he's doing what everybody did at every Passover. He blessed his father, Adonai. And then he sits there and he says this. When the hour arrived, he took his place at table. And the apostles were with him. And then he said to them, I have greatly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. At every Mass, Jesus Christ looks at you and he says, I have greatly desired to be here with you. Every Mass, he looks at you and he says, I greatly desire to be here with you. Do we greatly desire to be with him? Do we desire that more than anything else in our lives? He desires to be with you. He desires. He longs for you. Can you hear that? He longs to be intimate with you in the Eucharist. He longs for you. I desire to be here with you. It's about that intimacy, huh? So he says, I have greatly desired to be here with you. Then taking the cup of offering and blessing, in thanks he said, Take this and divide it among you. I tell you, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the coming of the reign of God. Then taking the bread and giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body to be given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
Then he did the same thing with the cup and after eating, saying as he did so, this cup is the covenant of my blood, which is shed for you. Three things I want to look at here. First of all, he says, take this. It's a command. Do this in remembrance of me. They said, do this. He wasn't saying, hey, if you get around to it, would you, would you remember to do this? He says, do this. It's a command of God that we who participate, we are fulfilling God's command, not his suggestion. Do this, he says to everyone who is his follower. And then he says, this is my body. Now, please, I don't see how people can take this any other way. When he said, this is my body, he meant this is my body. In John's gospel, it's sarks, S-A-R-X. It's a hunk of meat. When he's talking about this is my body, he is, has nothing to do with something to remind us of him. It is Christ. It's not a symbol. It's God himself in flesh, in Eucharistic sacramental presence. The same God that walked the face of the earth is the same God that's present in his Eucharistic form. You know, I tell people you should always spend an hour before Jesus Christ every day before the Blessed Sacrament. Oh, Father, I'm too busy. You're not too busy. Saint Fran, I mean, uh, one of the saints used to say that everybody needs a half hour of prayer every day, except when you're busy. Then you need an hour. And so what happens is that you've got to spend some time with Christ and you will get a suntan, huh? An S-O-N tan. The time, more time you spend before Christ in the Blessed Sacrament, the more you'll be transformed. How do you fall in love with somebody? You spend time with them. How are you going to fall in love with Jesus? You spend time with him. Huh? So he said, this is my body, which is for you. Then he says something that still all these centuries have haunted us. Remember me. Remember me. Can you hear the longing in his voice? Please don't forget me. I'm going to die. Please don't forget me. Remember me. And every time we come to Mass, we're not just going through some ritual. We're saying, hey, Jesus, I remember you. Jesus, I remember you. That's why I'm here, Jesus. I remember you. It's that intimacy with Jesus Christ. Then he says, the cup of my blood which will be shed for you. You know what it cost Jesus to give us the Mass? It cost him his life. To give us the Mass, it cost Jesus his life. If we're truly going to enter into any Mass, it must cost us our lives. For ever us to enter into a real Mass, to get anything out of it, we don't go to Mass to see what I can get. We go to Mass to die and to rise again. Every Mass, as it costs Jesus' life, must cost me my life, that he can give me a new life in him. You know, my favorite scripture verse is Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and following. And this is what should happen at every Mass. I have been crucified with Christ. So the life I live now, it's not my own. It's Jesus who lives inside of me. I still live my human life, yes, but it's a life of faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. How do I come to know that he loved me and he gave his life for me? By being crucified with him. When I go to Mass, I give up my life with Christ that he can live inside of me. So every Mass cost him his life, and every Mass must cost me my life, all of my life I bring into Mass, not just part of it. huh? So we see that at the institution narrative in Luke chapter 22. Now, quite interesting, some people say, well, it might have been his real body and blood then, but not later. Let's see what happens next. Staying in Luke's Gospel... The very first thing Jesus does after he rose from the dead is at Emmaus, huh? There he is walking with the, uh, the uh, disciples. And as he's walking with them, they're talking about something. He says, what were you discussing along the way? And they says, you're the only one that doesn't know about Jesus of Nazareth? And then he says, what things? And then he opened their minds to the scriptures. But they didn't recognize him as he talked about the scriptures yet, did they? Then it says in Luke chapter 24, Verse 29, 
But they pressed him and said, stay with us, Lord. It's nearly evening and the day is practically over. Look at the way they get Jesus to stay with us. Stay with us, Lord. Stay with us, Lord. Remember that. Stay with us, Lord. So how does he stay with them? When he seated himself with them to eat, he took bread. He pronounced the blessing. And he began to distribute it to them. Does this sound familiar? With that, their eyes were open and they recognized him. Thereupon he vanished from their sight. It's a sacramental presence. And so what do they do? They said, weren't our hearts burning when he talked to us about the scriptures? But then they go back to the rest of the apostles and they said, they recognized Jesus in the breaking of the bread. The very first thing Jesus Christ ever did when he rose from the dead was say mass. How do we come to know him and how do we get Jesus to stay with us? Is to go to mass, to recognize him in the breaking of the bread. We go to the Acts of the Apostles, huh? Acts chapter 2. Here, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Again, great thing here. This is what the early Christians did. And this is my parish, but of life, how we try to form our community. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the teaching of the bishops today, to the communal life, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayers. The early apostles, huh? right after Christ died, devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread, which is the Mass. There's no other way around it. They called the Mass the Lord's Supper. They called the Mass the breaking of the bread. Okay? And again, throughout the Acts, you see this again and again. We don't have time to go into all the different places. You see it. But let me tell you, it's there many times. And then verse 46 of that same chapter says, they went to the temple area every day together. They prayed every day together. Every day while in their homes, they broke bread. They had, you know, or again, in the early church, they would have, they didn't have churches. So they would go to the synagogues and listen to the reading, the liturgy of the word this is. They would listen to the readings, the Old Testament prophets, or they would sit there and listen to some of the apostles' instructions. Then they would go to homes, their homes, and it was at their homes that they said the Mass. You know, that's how we get the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. Two different places it was said in the beginning. Until, of course, the Jewish people threw us out of the synagogue. And then we start combining it. Huh? But the early church dedicated themselves to that. The breaking of the bread. Then you go to 1 Corinthians. When it comes to sit there and think, how do people even believe that it was really Jesus Christ? Well, because it's from the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is a beautiful uh, verse uh, 16. This is what Paul says. Now remember... Paul never knew Jesus, the man. He never saw him die on the cross, never saw him perform a miracle. Paul's whole encounter with Christ was the resurrected Christ. He persecuted the Christians. He didn't know Christ. But now even Paul, who knew the resurrected Christ, and he knew him most especially through the Mass, now Paul's talking about how important this is. And in case someone thinks that we made this up later on, some people say the Mass was an invention in the 13th century. That's the biggest lie there ever could be. It's already here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14 and following. We'll go to 16. Is not the cup of blessing we bless a sharing in what? The blood of Christ. And is not the bread we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Again, this isn't something symbolic. Is it not the blood of Christ? Is it not the body of Christ? Because the loaf of bread is one. We, many though we are, are one body because we partake of the one loaf. That which makes us one is the Eucharist. The one Christ. We are the body of Christ. We come together as the Eucharist. huh? Now again, to go on to the next chapter, chapter 11, verse 20. When you assemble, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? Now again, the early Christians, when they assembled, did not assemble to listen to a good a homily. They did not listen to go to a prayer service. Well, here it says, is it not when you assemble, do you not assemble for the Lord's Supper? Isn't that the very reason you as Christians come together is for the Mass? Is not Paul saying? He says, aren't you coming together for then? For everyone is in haste to eat his own supper. But verse 23, verse 23, and this is what we call tradition. I receive from the Lord, from the Lord himself, what I have handed on to you. 
namely the Lord Jesus on a night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Every time then you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. This means that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily sins against the body and blood of the Lord himself. It was so important already back then. It was to say, you better make sure that when you receive communion, you worthily receive communion. So Paul's saying, listen, when you go to communion, you better recognize who it is you're receiving. Because what is it to receive the body and blood of Christ unworthily? It's a sacrilege. Still to this day, it's a sacrilege. Again, we didn't make that up years later. Paul is already complaining about it in the first century. You better know who it is you're receiving when you come up to communion. Huh? And then he goes even more. He says, he takes it even farther. A man should examine himself first. Only then should he eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks without recognizing the body, without recognizing that this is Christ, God himself. And again, this is verse 29 of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. He who eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks a judgment upon himself. That is why many among you are sick and infirm and why so many are dying. So if we receive communion unworthily, it's not the bread of life to us, but it becomes the bread of death. Some are sick and some are dying because we didn't recognize it's God. And that becomes so real in the early church, huh? We get all the way to uh, uh, the, about 155 A.D. And again, I want you to read this little part to you. It's, uh, it's very good at the liturgical celebration. This is by Justin Martyr. He was writing to uh, the emperor in the year 155, explaining what Christians did. Now listen if this sounds familiar. You know, again, this isn't something we made up. This is already in the year 155. Jesus died about 33 A.D., huh? So it's only a little bit more, 100 years after the death of Christ. On the day we call the day of the sun, which is Sunday, all who dwell in their city or country gather in the same place. They all came together on Sunday for Mass. Now he's trying to explain to the emperor what we do as Christians. The memoirs of the apostles and the writing of the prophets are read as much as time permits. When the reader has finished, he presides over those gathered and admonishes and challenges them to imitate these beautiful things. That is what we call a homily. <clears throat> some are longer, some are shorter, but it's a homily. Then we all rise together and offer prayers for ourselves. What are the intentions? And for others, intentions, whatever they may be, so that we may be found righteous by our life and our actions. Again, interesting. Our actions and faithful to the commandments. Again, judge on our actions so as to obtain eternal salvation. When their prayers are concluded, we exchange the kiss. Someone brings bread and a cup of water and wine mixed together to him who presides over the brethren. He takes them and offers praise and glory to the Father of the universe, through the name of the Son of the Holy Spirit. And for a considerable time, he gives thanks. For a considerable time, he gives thanks. In Greek, Eucharistin. Eucharist. We call the Mass the Eucharist. And what is the Eucharist about? It's about giving thanks to God. So what do we come to Mass for? To give thanks to God. It's not about gimme, 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 gimme. It's about, I give to you, God. We go to Mass because God gives to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Once a week, or hopefully, like a lot of us go every day, He goes and we give back to God. And what do we give Him? Thanks and praise. Eucharist means thanksgiving. So they offer up Eucharist. That and that we have been judged worthy of these gifts. They just thank God. They just thank Him that they could be worthy to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. How many times do we really make acts of thanksgiving at Mass? Just to be so grateful. You know how, what a privilege it is. What percentage of the world is Christian? About 33% of the whole world is Christian. And a much smaller group percentage of that is Catholic. And a much smaller percentage of that actually go to Mass and receive Jesus in the Eucharist. And a much smaller percentage of that actually knows who it is they receive. And so just to give thanks to Almighty God that we are worthy enough to know that Jesus Christ is truly present. 
and just spend time in thanksgiving that our God would humble himself before us and give us his very self. When he has concluded these prayers of thanksgiving, all present give voice to an acclamation by saying, Amen. And we're going to find out what that means. Amen means I would stake my life on what you just said. And we'll find out more about that towards the end of the talk. When he who presides has given thanks and the people have responded, those whom we call deacons give to those present the Eucharistic bread, wine and water, and take them to those who are absent. So all the way back in 150, they talk about the Mass. And I hope you realize there wasn't much difference between what happened then and what happens now. And the Mass was so much part of them that as time went on, it was what they were known for. In fact, in the 300s of the 4th century, it was something that was punishable by death. It was a crime punishable by death to be caught at the Mass. And so what would happen is a lot of times they would go into the catacombs and that, and they would say Mass on top of the martyrs. And that's why we still, every church you go to on the altar, inside the altar is always present a relic, because it's all the way from the beginning. When they start with saying Mass, they would say it on the tombs, the brick or the stone tombs of the martyrs, because they would intercede for us while we say Mass and be present there. Because you do realize, even if a priest says Mass all by himself, he's never alone. All the angels and saints are present. Even if you only have 10 people at Mass, you're not alone. There are thousands and millions of angels and saints falling down in adoration of God. huh? You know, Scott Hahn has a great book out called uh, The Lamb's Supper. And he'll talk about the whole book of Revelation is just one big Mass. And what happens on earth is we participate in the Mass that's going on right now in heaven. We participate. And so at every Mass we go, we enter into heaven. Every Mass. We get to enter into heaven with all the angels and all the saints. And we bow down and worship God with them. At every Mass. So, the Christian, the emperor goes and he, you know, all these Christians are being killed because they're going to Mass. So finally he asks some Christians, why don't you just stop going to Mass? And this is what they say. Christians make the Eucharist and the Eucharist makes Christians. Without the Eucharist, we cannot live. Without the Eucharist, we can not live. They're saying we can't be alive. We can't live. We can't be a Christian without the Eucharist. I can't live without the Eucharist. I would rather die than not receive Christ in the Blessed Sacrament. They didn't say those words, but that's what they meant. I would rather die than not go to Mass because there can be no Eucharist without Christians, and there's no such thing as a Christian without the Mass. The early church would rather die than miss that one Mass. They would rather die because they would say, there is no such thing as a Christian without the Mass, and I cannot live without the Eucharist. Could we say that ourselves in our, this room tonight? Could we say, I cannot live without the Eucharist. Jesus said the same thing, didn't he? In John chapter 6. John 6 here, and if you ever have problems with the Eucharist, just go to the 6th chapter of John. He's very clear here. John 6, verse 53, Thereupon Jesus said to them, Let me solemnly assure you, if you do not eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life within you. So Jesus is saying the same thing. If you don't receive the Eucharist, you will have no life. So the Christians really took that clearly in their lives, and they says, I would rather die than miss Mass. I would rather die than not go to the Eucharist. The Eucharist is so important that that must be the center of our lives. The Holy Catholic Church and Vatican Council says the Mass needs to be the source and the summit of our life. It must be where everything comes from and where everything is going. The most important thing that any of us will ever do is go to Mass. There is nothing more important than the Mass. Nothing. And if that is true in my life, then I, everything else has to flow out of that reality. There is nothing more important. I cannot live without the Eucharist. That's what Christ had said, and that's what the early Christians said. Is that what we believe? Do we really mean that in our hearts? Because it's truly God present. 
Jesus is at every Mass, and he gives us his life. It cost him his life to go to Mass, to have a Mass, and it must cost us our lives. And when we are at Mass and we give our life, then he gives us eternal life. We cannot live without the Eucharist. That's what it's about. And that's the first part we want to talk about with the Mass. The Mass is a sacrifice, and it's an intimate supper. It's Christ's present, truly present God, Father God who is God, 100% God, 100% man, and the person of Jesus is present at every Mass. And we've got to know that, and we've got to believe that. And if we really believe that, I don't believe there'll be one day we'd miss Mass. If we really believe that, I think we'd be in adoration all the time. I have adoration. I can't wait till I can get perpetual adoration at my parish. That's what it's about. Christ is present with us. Okay. We talked about the reality of the sacrifice and the reality of the real presence of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, to that reality, what that demands of us is faith. You know, it takes faith to believe that. Some people only saw Jesus and they said, he looks like a man. Come on. He's just a man. Some people looked at Jesus and knew that it was God. Some people look at that piece of bread and think it's only a piece of bread. Come on. It's a piece of bread. Some people look at that piece of bread and know it's God. The response must happen to us is that response of faith. Huh? And sometimes when people don't have faith is where we get the, back to John chapter 6. And um, again, some people say it was just symbolic. But when you look at John, John 6, he is so clear. You can't get any clearer. And after he says, let me solemnly assure you, if you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have no life within you. He says, my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. And then as he's talking this way, some people said in verse uh, 60, after hearing his words, many of his disciples, these are followers of Jesus, many of his disciples left him. Or it says, this sort of talk is hard to endure. How can anyone take it seriously? Now when he said this, when they said this to Jesus, he says, oh no, I didn't mean I'm talking symbolically. Don't get mad at me. No, no. You know, the earliest Christians were called cannibals. Because they were to eat the body and blood of their God. They were called cannibals. They didn't say, oh, no, 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 it's only a symbol. They never said that. And Jesus didn't say, oh, no, no, I'm only talking symbolically. And he, so these disciples say it's hard to endure. And I always go, this is one of my, <laughs> chapter 6, verse 66. 6, 6, 6. From this time on, many of his disciples broke away. They would no longer remain in his company any longer. They left Jesus over his teaching on the Eucharist, his real presence. The disciples left Jesus because they could not accept the teaching of the Eucharist. Okay? So that's very important. We can't have it any other way. It's truly present. God is present there. But then we've got to talk about what Jesus talks about at the Mass. He says in John, again at the end of John, John's Gospel, chapter 13, if you were going to die, you would sit there and think seriously about the words you're going to say. And if you've known anybody that dies, that has died you're close to, I'll bet you remember everything that they said to you, their last conversation. It becomes very significant and important in their lives and in your life to remember everything that that person said to you. Well, Jesus knew he was going to die, and he chose his words carefully. And what does he say? I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. That means every morning we're called to, how are we supposed to love people? We're called to die for them, just like Jesus died for us. We're called to give away our lives for others. So again, we go to Mass to learn how to die. Jesus, teach me how to give my life away for others, as you have given your life for me. The only way it matters if you go to daily Mass is if you're being changed by daily Mass. If your response in faith is making you more loving, not running out of communion and fighting with people in the parking lot to who can get out first. It's about being transformed into a lover. That's what Mass is about. Jesus, the only commandment he ever gave was you people are to love each other as I have loved you. That's what he says. And notice he said that after he did something very significant. He washed their feet. And Jesus does this at the beginning of your Mass, which we're going to go into in a bit. But he got, in his, he got in his feet, his hands and feet, he put a towel over himself, and he washed all the disciples' feet. 
And after he did that, he says in verse 12, after he washed their feet, he put his cloak on back and reclined the table once more. And he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You address me as teacher and Lord, and fittingly enough, for that is what I am. But if I have washed your feet, I who am your teacher and Lord, then you must wash each other's feet. What I have just done is given you an example. As I have done, so you must do. This past October, I was in Italy, and I got to see a, one of my old kids who got ordained a deacon, Rich Tui. And then afterwards, a couple of days later, me and my classmate went over to be with the sisters, the missionaries of charity, Mother Teresa's order. Uh, and we went, and it was there, uh, they have a, um, a house of studies there, with their novices and that. They have no running water there. They get, or they, they do have running water, but they don't have any hot water. They have to put their water in big buckets every morning and put it on, uh, top of, uh, hand, uh, chopped wood to build their fire. And then they wash their clothes by hands. And we had to be there by six o'clock because we were going to say mass. So me and the other priest come walking in. They walk into a big, you walk into this big room with a hard floor. They, they kneel on the hard floor. They take all their shoes off so they're in bare feet and they kneel before Jesus at the Eucharist. When it comes time when we hold up the Blessed Sacrament, these nuns fall on their faces before the presence of God. And I was really humbled by that. Before I said Mass, there was a sign there that says, O priest of God, say this Mass as if it was your last Mass. Say this Mass as if it was your only Mass. Say this Mass as if it was your first Mass. Or say this Mass for your first Mass, your last Mass, or your only Mass. I thought, yeah, that's the way we should say every Mass. That's the way all of us should be at every Mass. To come to Mass, if it's the first Mass, if it's the last Mass, if it's the only Mass we'll ever celebrate. If we enter into every Mass with that mentality, every Mass would be very meaningful to us. And then that was, you know, Mass was very good, and the sisters sang and different things, and that made a big impact on me, but nothing prepared me for what happened after Mass. After Mass, we went over... And the nuns start doing their chores and everything else. And they had prepared, myself and the other priest, uh, a breakfast. And so we went into this room, this little room that they had prepared for us. It was heated. The rest of them don't even have heated rooms. And they sat there, and Mother Superior sat with us, and she's eating with us. And very joy-filled. She has nothing, huh? Very joy-filled woman. And this joy-filled woman, I'm thinking, holy cow. You know, she was just, and she's talking about Father Larry, how about you, and Father Nick. And she's just so concerned about us. Not concerned the least bit about herself. Then there was an orange and an apple left for after our dinner, after we had this breakfast. And she says, would either of you like uh, the apple or the orange? And I said, oh, no, thank you, sister, very much. And she says to Father Nick, what would you like? He said, I'll have the apple. And then she went and she says, oh, no, Father. And she, he went to grab the apple. Oh, no, Father, don't you do that. He says, do you like it? She, do you like the skin? He goes, no. This nun proceeded, the mother superior of the order, to peel the apple and cut it in little slices and fed it to him one at a time. I'm sitting there thinking, sister, he can peel his own apple. Don't sit there and do that for him. You know, I'm like, oh, indignant that this woman and my classmate let her take his apple and cut it for him. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. But then it hit me, the great humility of this nun to be so concerned about another human being that she would cut the apple skin and cut it in little pieces so he could eat it. That just floored me. You could tell her experience at Mass was transforming. It made her a person of great love. Every Mass must make us a person of great love and of great service. I've often went to Mary, and as Mary went to her son Jesus and says, they have no wine, I always say to Mary, Mary, look at Jesus and say, he has no love. And put love inside of me. Jesus said... Again, to go back to John chapter 13, verse 35. This is how all people will know you're my disciples. Because you love one another. Period. All people will know you're my disciples because you love one another. So that means when people go to our churches on Sunday... They should be breaking the doors down. Why? Because, boy, those people love each other. You know, the deepest need in everybody's heart, I don't care how tough you are, the deepest need in everybody's heart is to be loved. That's all any of us want, is for somebody to love me. And that's the first place where God meets you. He loves you. He proved it by giving you his son. 
He proves it every Mass by giving you his son's body and blood. He loves you. He gives you his self. And then he says, now you want to feel loved? Go love. Go take care of others. Father Dale Fuschek, who started the uh, Life Teen program, he tells a story when he was young. He was a seminary and he goes over because this 18-year-old boy was leaving the church. And he says, come on, you got to save him, Dale. And so he goes over to the place and he's sitting at dinner. And all of a sudden, everybody leaves the dinner table except for him and his kid. <laughs> and the uh, kid looks and he says, I guess you're supposed to talk to me, huh? And he goes, yep. And he says, son, why are you leaving the Catholic Church? He says, don't you believe in the real presence of Jesus? Oh, sure, Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is truly present in the Eucharist. Uh, well, do you have problems with the Pope? He says, oh, no, Father, the Pope is, speaks it as it is. He speaks the good word of God. He says, do you have problems with the Blessed Mother? Oh, no, she's my mother, and she's Jesus' mother. And he says, son, then why are you going to leave the Catholic faith? And he says, Father, I've went to Mass every year for 18 years, and never once did I feel loved there. What an indictment. The community of love founded by the God of love, when people come into our places, a kid could say for 18 years, never felt loved there. If Jesus Christ is really present, and he is in the Eucharist, guess where else Jesus Christ is present? In you in the people around you. It's real easy to look at Jesus here in the Eucharist and say, I adore you, I love you, Jesus, because he's clean there. It's much harder to see the Jesus and the people next to you. I mean, think about this. You go to Mass every day, huh? You receive communion. What do you think? Do you think that after an hour later on when you go to the bathroom, Jesus has left you? Is that what you really think? That somehow Jesus Christ, who you just received in the Eucharist, is only present for a few minutes inside of you, and then he sits here anyway and says, okay, I've been here an hour, I'm leaving now. Jesus Christ, by definition, lives inside of you at the moment you got baptized. We are tabernacles of God. Could you imagine if we start living that truth in the church? That Christ is alive inside of you and me. Jesus Christ is in the people next to you. And you and I better learn to love them and give our lives for them. Isn't it a shame sometimes we don't even know? We might have went to the same church for 10 years, and we don't know the person that sits behind us every week for the last 10 years. We don't even know their name. All people will know you're my disciples because you love one another. Is that the reality of what Mass is for me and for you? Christ is present in the Eucharist, and he's present in the people around us, and he's present inside of me. And what I'm called to do is when I receive him, is to make sure I take him and do everything I do. No matter where I am, I bring God. When Mary said, fiat, let it be done to me, she brought the presence of God to the world inside of her. When we say, fiat, let it be done to me, your will be done to me, we take the presence of God to all the world. You know the word mass? means to go forth. Let it be, let them be dismissed. Let them be dismissed. Go forth. They're being sent forth. So what happens at Mass, we are sent forth to go and love the world. You know, Christians, Catholics sometimes are so good about come following Jesus that they forget he also said, go, go, go and make disciples. Go and love one another. You know, the only reason I feel that sometimes we're afraid, we're afraid to go loving other people to give away our lives is because we don't know how much we're loved. And to do that, again, to go to John's Gospel, one of the greatest parts is John chapter 13, verse 25. John the Evangelist, at the Last Supper, took his head and placed it on the chest of Jesus, and he listened to his heartbeat. At the Last Supper... Jesus Christ told the disciples that he loved them. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. John 15. Live on in my love. Well, John knew that because he listened to the heartbeat of God. Every Mass, again, when I have Mass, I tell everybody after communion, I say, everybody close your eyes. And I want you to take, you've just received Christ. I want you to close your eyes. Put your head on his chest. Let Jesus now embrace you and listen 
to the heartbeat of God. Every time his heart beats, he says, I love you. I love you. I love you. That happens at every Mass. We are told by the God of the universe that he loves us. We're called to be John the Evangelist at every Mass and put our head on the chest of Jesus and listen to his heartbeat. And then we're called to bring forth that heart to others. Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart like unto yours. Jesus, may I so be transformed by your body and blood that I may bring your body and presence to everybody. Mass is about going forth and loving. Learning to love by the God of love so I can go forth and love. Can they say that about our churches? And if not, you be the one to say, I'm going to start making a difference. I'm going to be the one that goes out of my way to say hi to the person I've never said hi to. To say, is there anything I can do for you? I'm going to be the one that learns that I'm called to be a loving person. And I'm going to be the one that gives up my life. Just like all the saints before me, St. Teresa, <laughs> the little flower, Teresa, Mother Teresa, who gave her whole life away, was such a joyful person. I'm going to be one that won't live in this life only for me, but I'll give my life away for others. Because that's what the Mass is about. Now, in talking about these two things, I want to go through a little bit and go through about what happens at every Mass. You know, what do we do when we do this? What do we do when we do that? Okay, and so when you come in the Mass, again, what we need to do is we gather together as a body. You know, it says there is no Eucharist without the Christians. There is no Christians without the Eucharist, and there is no Eucharist without the Christians. And so the first thing we do with a Mass is we gather. And that's why a lot of the new churches now have gathering places outside. It shouldn't be inside. You know, the church should be a place where we pray. But outside, there should be a place where you gather. You know, where you get to know each other, where you say hi to each other, where you greet everybody. It's a time to gather to get to know each other so we can become, become the body and blood of Christ. Then we come to Mass. Every Mass begins with what? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The cross. The cross is how we begin everything in our life and the way we should end everything in our life. The cross is what about, the cross is the symbol of love. It proves, if you look at any cross, this is what it means to be a person of love. When you say God is love, look at the cross. This is what it's about. Self-sacrifice. I give my life for you. So, when I make the sign of the cross, I call the presence of God who died on the cross to me, but I'm also calling to mind what I am called to do. I too am called to be crucified with him, and I too am called to give away my life for him and for others. So that's what happens, and that's why we begin. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We put ourselves into the presence of God, and we bring ourselves into the reality of the Trinity. Now again, even the reality of Trinity shows God isn't alone. The whole concept of Trinity is a community of love. The Father always loves the Son, the Son always loves the Father, and their love is so real, we call it the Holy Spirit. And so what happens when I call to mind the Trinity, I am called to be taken up into the Trinity and be part of that community of love. So when I enter in the Mass, I enter into the love of the Trinity. I enter into this reality, the, the most powerful reality there is. The God of love I am called to be caught up into. Because why? Where does the Trinity dwell also? In me. And so the reality of what's always happening in me I call and I enter into this presence more in reality. Then what happens is I call to mind my sins. huh? Let us call to mind our sins. Now, what you're called to do at this time is to really think of the ways you have not been Christ to others. The ways you have, and, and not just to be sorry for your sins. Everybody's sorry for their sins. If my kid gets caught at the school doing something wrong, they're very sorry because they got to deal with Father Larry. That's why they're sorry. Are they sorry because they did something wrong? No. The gift we give to God is the gift of repentance. So at the beginning of every Mass, it's like, Lord, I've done this in my life, and I'm sorry, and I'm not going to do it anymore. So if you just had a fight with your wife or your husband before you got the Mass, and you put your head down, oh, Lord, I'm sorry I fought with my husband or wife or the kids or my parents, and Lord, I'm not going to do that anymore. That's repentance. That's what God calls us to, repentance. The first words ever out of his mouth is repent and believe in the good news. But then, get what happens spiritually. The first Mass began with Jesus on his hands and knees, washing the apostles' what? 
feet. Why do they wash their feet? It's the dirtiest part of the body, especially when you walk around with no socks and shoes on. It was the dirtiest part. He goes to the dirtiest part of them. So what does the God of the universe do with us at the beginning of every Mass? He goes to our dirtiest part, our sinful soul. And if you will, what happens spiritually is the God of the universe gets on his hands and his knees and he washes us clean. So what happens is the God of all power and might humbles himself again before us when we say we're sorry and we repent and he cleanses us of all our sin. You do realize at the beginning of every Mass, all venial sins are cleansed. Teaching in a church. Mortal sins, you still got to go to confession to. But every Mass, venial sins, beginning of Mass, when you really repent, your venial sins are taken care of. Huh? Then we go into the, uh, on a Sunday we'll do the Gloria. We need to cry out, Glory to, you know, when they sang the Gloria, when was the first time it was sung? Christmas Eve. And it sung, what did they do? The heavens shook with the angels praising God, the glory to God in the highest. This is about God. It's about Him giving His life for you. Rejoice with Him. So when you say the Gloria, it should make the place shake at every Gloria. Because you are joined with all the angels and saints. Shake with them, huh? That's a glorious thing. So we should make everything shake when we say the Gloria. And we really need to enter in the Mass. Now, the priest then does the... Uh, he does the opening prayer, and he, the collect means he collects all our prayers and he brings them before God the Father. And if you ever listen to them, they're powerful prayers. Then we all sit down and we're called now to listen to the Word of God. You know, when the prophets would come before God, they would say, Speak, Lord, I'm listening. Not shut up, God, I'm talking. So the whole thing when we go to pray is an active listening. God, here I am, speak to me. And whenever you go to Mass, test yourself. Ask your kids or ask yourself, what were the readings about today? And if you can't think of them, oh, did you waste your time and God's. He spoke to you. Did you give him the respect and listen to him? You know, even when we say the gospel, we all stand for the gospel, huh? To show respect. Christ is present in his word. And then comes the homily. Huh? The homily is where the priest is supposed to break open the word that was just read and break it up into bite-sized pieces so everybody can understand it. Now I know some places have good homilies, some places have bad homilies, some priests are more active. But the reality is that if we're really true, that the priest is going to be one who loves the Lord Jesus and breaks that open for all of us. That we know what Jesus is trying to get me. And the Word of God should change my life. I should never walk out of Mass the way I came into it. I should be transformed by the Eucharist, transformed by the Word that I have heard, and really change my life as I go forth from this place. That's what's supposed to happen. Okay? So that's the thing here. So here I am, and I sit there, and I, I pray, and I listen to God's Word, and it's broken open for me when a priest talks, hopefully. Then I go, and I, we come together, and we stand, and we profess the creed. This creed costs Christ his life. What does it cost you? Anything? The creed does not become ours, really until it costs us our life. Every day, I believe. You know, the little flower once, she was having a doubt of faith. You know what she did? She wrote out the Apostles' Creed with her blood. She believed the creed. Do we believe the creed? Or do we just say a bunch of memorized words? Does it change our life? This is what I believe. This is what I stand for. Then, of course, we pray for other people with the intercessions, and we always have to pray certain prayers all the time, but we take all our prayers. You know, a person who is baptized shares in the priestly power of Christ. Everybody, not the priesthood of the, uh, like a, uh, an ordained priest, but we're all sharing priesthood. And how do we share in the priesthood of Christ? Through intercession, praying for the world, and to offer a sacrifice of praise. What Jesus does forever, it says, is he prays for us. He intercedes for us before the Father. And so what we should be doing is constantly praying for others. And so at the Mass, we have the petitions to pray for others. But that should be something we're doing constantly. And when we do that, we share in the priesthood of Christ. We're offering a sacrifice of praise, which every Mass is, and we offer up our lives and pray for others. Huh? 
the time of praise, the praying for other people. And we really need to think about that and really pray for them. And, and Jesus said, whenever you agree with anything, my, anything in my name, I will answer. So you've got to have faith for that. Then we bring the offertory. What happens at the offertory is, again, the priests, I mean, the people bring up the bread and the wine and the money. And what that's supposed to mean is it's the gift of our lives. This bread and wine made by the people is supposed to symbolize my life. My life being formed into Christ. And so when the priest goes and he's at the altar and he offers up, he puts the bread and the wine on the patent and he offers up and he says, blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. He offers up the bread and the wine. You and I are supposed to be on that patent. And just as this bread is supposed to change and become the body and blood of Christ, so I must offer up my life so much that I too am and transformed like the bread and wine is. So I offer up my whole life at the offertory so that I may be transformed into Christ. And then what happens at the most wonderful thing, we sing the holy, 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 oh my. And we sing the holy, holy, holy. Think about what happens. The angels, remember Isaiah, he fell on his face because the seraphim angels were crying out, holy, holy, holy. If you look at the book of Revelation, the saints and angels cry out, holy, holy, holy. Now we're coming before the holy of holies. We bow down, we kneel before the God of the universe and we cry out, holy, holy, holy. And again, don't just say a bunch of memorized words. When the Epiclesis comes to Mass, and the priest puts his hands over bread and wine. And he says, may your Holy Spirit come down upon these gifts and make them holy. With that epiclesis and with this is my body is given to you, that bread and wine change and become God. And to sit there for a moment and to think, here I am at this very moment and the God of the universe has just humbled himself before me and he gives me his own. He is right there. If we really believed that he was right there, would we ever get off our knees in front of him? And then after that, and it comes when we get to the doxology, and the priest holds up Jesus and says, through him, with him, in him, and the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours, Almighty Father, forever and ever. And the people say, Amen. Amen means I would stake my life on what you just said. Amen. I believe. It's more than I do believe. It means I would stake my life on what you just said. When you come up and you say amen with the body of Christ, it means I would stake my life. Is that what you really mean? You would stake your life that you are receiving the body or the blood of Jesus Christ. Because that's what amen means. Amen. Most powerful thing you say at the Mass is amen. And then after that, we say the Lord's Prayer. You know, again, I tell people, I want you to say this slow. And if people are new at my parish, because the way our Father goes at my parish, it's our Father who art in heaven. And people that are new want to sit there and rush through that. And they get, Father, that was a very long Our Father. It's because God is right there. And here's the God of the universe standing before you and say, what do you want to say to me? Our Father. Good. Speak it. Be still in my presence. You are my son. You are my daughter. And we cry out, Father. You know, Teresa Avila went into ecstasy for hours. She couldn't get past the word Father. Can we really mean what we say? We just call the God of the universe, Abba, Daddy, Papa. So here you are before the God of the universe. And as we're standing before the God of the universe and we says, Lamb of God. Again, what happens while we're saying the Lamb of God? As we say the Lamb of God, we're looking at Jesus and we're remembering what he did for us. We're remembering John the Baptist looking at him and saying, Behold the Lamb of God. We're looking at Abraham who said, God himself provide the Lamb. And we're looking that the God of the universe gives his own Son, the Lamb of God, the Son that is slain for love of us. At every Mass, Lamb of God, Lamb of God, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. My greatest devotion, I think, as a priest now is the divine mercy. I have great devotion to divine mercy. Because when everything's said and done, it's all about mercy. 
You and I will go to heaven because we have a God of great mercy. When I stand before God and he says, why shall I turn to heaven, Larry? It's going to be because Jesus, your son, died for me, Lord. And he's going to say, very good. I'll prove it. Look at the way I've lived my life. I've tried. But it's all because of what he did. Not because of one thing I will ever do. It's all because of him. And so when I'm on my knees and I'm crying out, Lamb of God, have mercy. We've got to really mean that. Have mercy on me, Lord. It's put us who we are. I'm a person in need of mercy. So all of us are in great need of mercy. We stand before God. And then when we can become one with communion, think about what happens when you come to communion. You come on up, you say, the priest looks at you and says, the body of Christ, and you say, amen. I would stake my life on that. Then you and I go back to our places, and that's again the time we're supposed to allow Jesus to hold us. And please... Take time there. Close your eyes. Let Jesus hold you. If there's a song, sing the song with them, yeah, because you're singing it to show you're part of the whole body. But then after the song, there needs to be the time where you're alone in, in the intimacy with Jesus. But notice, when you're putting your head against the chest of Jesus, don't let it become a selfish little thing about you and Jesus. Because when you're one with Jesus, guess what? You're one with everybody else. You're one with the person next to you very intimately. You're one with your son or daughter who lives in California or lives in Italy. You're one with all your relatives who have gone before you in death. Because when you receive communion, you have communion with Jesus. And you have communion with the whole body of Christ. A great intimacy. I always tell the people when I go and I do a retreat, you know the person next to you right now? That person, if you make it to heaven, you're going to love them more than you've ever loved anybody on this earth. And if they make it, they're going to love you the same way. And at communion, that's where we show that. That's where we get to experience heaven. You know what communion is? You know what heaven is? Heaven is the place where God will love us, and we'll love each other, and we'll love Him intimately forever. Heaven is about love. And at every Mass, we get to experience that in reality. I become one with the whole body of Christ, the church militant, the church suffering, and the church triumphant. I am one because I am one with Christ at every communion. I am one with the whole church. It is intimate communion. What a wonderful thing. And so never rush through a mass. Stay there for the blessing. You need the power that the priest wants to give to you when you go out. And then when he sends you forth, it means go forth. Go forth and be Christ to the world now. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go forth from here and bring the God of love. Go forth and show by the way you live that Christ is alive. He's not dead. Go forth and show the reality you've just received the God of the universe. And now you will be the presence of God by being his tabernacle to the world. Please, as we come before God at every Mass, Know what happens. You are in the presence of the God of the universe. Really, truly present. You receive his presence. And then you're going forth to be his presence. Desire mass more than you desire anything else. And if you don't have that desire, pray for that desire. That you would long for mass more than you long for your breath. That you would long for Jesus more than anything else in your life. And then pray for the grace to truly be transformed. That you would go and be a loving person and a servant to the world. And pray that you would go forth and become an instrument of his love to everybody you ever meet. You got it? You get it? Good. May each of you know his love today and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless, keep, and protect you. He who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you were inspired by this podcast, and we encourage you to share it on social media and warmly invite you to distribute our free Catholic scapulars, medals, books, and booklets to your family, friends, parish, and social groups. Visit us online at catholiccity.com for more information. The real work of the Mary Foundation is accomplished by people just like you. There are three ways to help. First, please pray for everyone who hears, reads, or wears our materials. 
Second, share them with everyone you know, family, friends, fellow parishioners, and the people you work with. Only you can reach them. Finally, please help us financially. It seems impossible, but we don't do traditional fundraising here at the Mary Foundation. We rely on your generosity and God's providence. By the way, if you, your parish, or your Catholic group would like to distribute our materials by the dozens, hundreds, or even thousands, all we ask for is help covering our materials costs. So please visit us online for suggested donations. For our Canadian friends and those outside the United States, only online requests are accepted, so please refer to the special shipping rates listed on our website. Thanks for listening, and we're looking forward to working with you. May God bless you always. And now, here's a short preview of our Rosary and Divine Mercy Chaplet, the most popular rosary recording in the history of the world. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. For an increase in the virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without permission is prohibited.